Please be seated for our Bible reading. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 to 19. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Picture this scene with me. I'm stood about here, just by the chancel steps, not in this building, but in St. George's Church. And I'm there because I've been asked by a teacher at at Lelon to answer some questions that her class have about church and my role. These school children are about six or, or seven years old. They've spent the morning visiting the church and now I'm answering their, their questions. It's nearing noon and the teacher interrupts the floor to say there's only one more question left. I'm feeling a little on edge because I'm thinking I've survived the grilling because you never know, do you, with children of six or seven year old? They're so inquisitive, aren't they? And they can ask just some of the most awkward questions. And so I'm feeling a little on edge. And then came that question from a sweet-looking, innocent-looking, seven-year-old girl. It's always the sweet, innocent ones who ask the most difficult questions, isn't it? Ever found that? And her question was this. Why 
Is there a church? I wonder how you would answer that girl's question. Why is there a church? Even though I've always learned to expect the unexpected when it comes to children, that little girl's question still took me by surprise. It kind of caught me off my guard a bit. And in my head I'm thinking, well, of course there should be a church. And then I remembered Jesus' words from this Bible reading today. And as simply as I could, I tried to say to the girl, there is a church because Jesus said there would be a church. He prophesied there would be a church. He predicted there would be a church. Shortly afterwards, those children and that teacher left that, that building. But the girl's question still, six weeks afterwards, has been leaving this impression upon me. Over the days and weeks which have have followed, I've been reflecting upon her question, why is there a church? Today, perhaps it seems fitting as we return after nearly 14 months to to three, if you like, regular on-site services as well as a digital presence to start exploring a new series looking at what is the calling of the church as we continue journeying through these stages of this pandemic where we might remember what was but we're still unsure what the future holds and when it will finally appear what's the mission of the church in this emerging new world as we saw literally 14 months ago overnight perhaps a lot of what we believed as church stripped away what is the church's identity and as we see on this global stage still lots and lots of issues related to this pandemic that just don't seem to go away do they we see major nations don't we like India Brazil Canada and parts of Western Europe struggling to cope with this pandemic. We see these huge inequalities in terms of vaccine distribution. We have these ethical questions now being asked about vaccine passports and where we should be allowed to travel, not to mention the other seismic problems in our world that don't go away of climate change, of race, of slavery, of well-being, of the future of work and how we act towards each other. What does it mean to be the church to begin this morning what we're going to do is we're going to journey back to the first century to actually the first time the word church appears in in our English Bibles we're in Caesarea Philippi which if you don't know where Caesarea Philippi is it kind of sits on the southwestern base of Mount Hermon which is just about the most northerly point in Israel roughly 25 miles north of Galilee. And it's here we, we're kind of privileged to listen into this conversation between Jesus and Simon Peter. And through the course of their conversation together, we can identify, if you like, three underpinning facts that are true of the church in every generation. Here's the first. It's so simple yet I find so easily 
misunderstood with so many low levels of biblical literacy around. I don't know if you find this. It was actually present in the girl's question to me that day and concerns the meaning of the word that we've translated as church in our English Bibles. You see, when the girl asked her question, why is there a church, she was thinking of a building. She was thinking of a place. Whereas I was thinking of a people. The reason I've always seen the church as this is because of this. The Greek word in our Bibles for church is the word ekklesia. It actually comes from two Greek words. Ek, which is a proposition meaning out or from, and kaleo, the verb to call. The ekklesia, which we've translated as church, were the called out ones. It could be used in both a religious and a secular capacity and occurs over 118 times in the New Testament and never, ever denotes a physical structure, but always a community of people in both sacred literature and in secular literature. Ecclesia always referred to a gathering of people. We might say in Jersey, because we still have them, an assembly of people united by a common identity and purpose. As Peter knew only too well, writing some 30 years after this seminal moment to fledging churches, groups of people scattered across we now know as Turkey, he defines the church in his first letter as being living stones. In the past 14 months when many of us have spent so much time, haven't we, being church or watching church or participating in church at home, we could say we, the ecclesia, are the ones called out from our homes to gather together publicly, focusing upon Jesus. In response to the girl's question, why is there a church? It's always about the who before any what. The church, any church, is a group of people called out from their homes for a public gathering focused upon Jesus. Here's the second fact we can identify from listening into this conversation between Jesus and Peter. That the church is a group of people whose identity is founded upon Jesus Christ. It's Simon Peter's inspired statement, isn't it? His bold affirmation of who Jesus is as the Messiah, if you like the special one, the anointed one. And then he says, the son of the living God, which gives kind of this foundation stone. Or the reference point, or if we want to use a different analogy, the compass point, the true north of the church. Any church in every generation. But notice what happens next. And to understand what happens next, we need to understand a bit of the Old Testament. Right the way back at the beginning of the Bible, when God calls a man named Abraham to be the ancestor of many nations. Because the similarities between that passage and that calling and this one are so familiar. And remember, Matthew would have been a good Jew. Just as then, the living God as he was described, gave Abraham a new name to speak of his future role. So here, the son of the living God 
does the same for Simon. As the living God gave Abraham a new name of Abraham, meaning the father of nations, to signify his new role, so here the son of the living God gives Simon a new name of Peter, meaning rock, to signify his new role. As Abraham was the first of a kind, so too now is Peter, with a unique role in salvation history. More than just a representative disciple, as the Protestants would like to stay with, but at the same time not the first holder of a papal office. Others would then hold, like the Roman Catholics, like to adhere to. You see, in both instances, Abraham and Simon, it's their faith in the living God, in the living Jesus, which is the means by which God brings a new people into being. Every church's identity in every generation is founded upon this belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If it's not about this, it's never a church. It means that for any follower of Jesus, for any of us, if you like, our identity is not founded upon our status or our position or our titles, or our gender, or our sexuality, or however else we choose to define ourselves in this mixed up world. As a follower of Jesus Christ, our identity is founded upon him. As St. Paul would say, you are in Christ. Our identity is founded upon whose we are. And we are in Christ. The church, any group of people, is a group that's founded upon Jesus Christ. And here's the third thing that we can identify from listening in to Simon Peter's conversation with Jesus that day. is that the church is a group of people who were being built by Jesus Christ for his purpose not just about being founded upon him it's also about them being built by him Jesus says doesn't he I will build my church notice the language I will build my church in effect Jesus is saying I'm going to build my own assembly of people and the foundation for this new assembly will be me The church, every church is Jesus' church being built by him. You see, it's always about him, isn't it? Never about us, as C.S. Lewis said in his perhaps most famous book, Mere Christianity. The church simply exists to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. It's Jesus' church. A people being shaped by him and centered upon him. And when a church, any church, is being built by Jesus Christ, it's the greatest movement of transformation on the earth, isn't it? You see, it was and is God's only plan for the salvation of the world. In a time when there's so much talk of vaccines, Jesus' words to the church are still the same. He says, 
A church by being built by him is immune to the greatest powers of earth, including the greatest imprisoning power of earth, death, which is what the gates of Hades represents. It was a metaphor equivalent to the Old Testament word Sheol, the place of the dead. Even death cannot imprison, cannot and will not hold back the church of the living God. Have you ever wondered why the church that is where it's most persecuted is often the church that is the most growing? Why? Because the church is being built by the conqueror of death itself, the resurrected Jesus Christ. The church, any church, is a group of people who have been built by Jesus Christ for his purpose. So the church is a people. It's always about the who rather than the what. The church is a group of people who have been founded by Jesus Christ and then who are being built by him. So returning to today and this world that we currently live in, this world that seems to be transitioning so much. And most of us, if we're honest, aren't we, we find transitions difficult. Many of us are living through the biggest transition we may ever witness. We may still remember what was and we still may hark back to those days, but we also know as well that we're not sure what the future looks like and when it might finally appear. And we're all kind of like at these different stages, aren't we? Certainly from from talking to you, you're all at different places in this pandemic. Kind of some of us are predominantly still in response mode. We're still reorientating to all that has gone, gone on. Some of us are in a kind of recovery phase. We're reimagining what the future holds. While some of us have kind of reshaped and want to move forward. And they're not three static positions. We kind of move often in between all three, many of us. So as we journey, if you like, through this transition, as a church to what I believe God wants the new thing, for he wants us as a church to proclaim afresh because God always does new things through transitions. I kind of want us to set in stone, if you like, two verses from the Bible. One is from the book of 1 Chronicles and the other is from the book of 2 Chronicles. Now I want us to kind of memorize these verses as we transition through this time. If you like to write them not on tablets of stone, but to write them in our hearts of flesh. The first is from 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. When this, in this time in Israel's life, David finds himself and his followers in a kind of lockdown. They're hiding in the wilderness with their movements restricted because they've been hunted by King Saul. And among David's followers are men from every tribe of Israel, one of which is the tribe of Issachar, who are described like this. 
those who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Those who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. You know, at this time when the living Jesus is looking to build a church into the new thing he's destined, he's looking for us to be a people with an understanding of the times we live in and a godly wisdom to know what to do. That's the first verse, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. Those who had an understanding of the times that they knew what to do. The second is from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12, which occurs, if you like, in another lockdown moment, if you like, another great crisis in Israel's history, this time during the reign of King Jehoshaphat, as they're facing, if you like, ruin from enemy captors at the door. And we read that King Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly, in the ecclesia of Judah, that we met in the house of the Lord, and admitting their powerlessness amidst an encroaching greater enemy, said these words to the Lord. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's in these times when no one knows what the future holds and when it will appear that we look as a church for what God wants to build with our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith to interpret, to understand these times. For then we will know what he wants us to do. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.